Titus chapter 1, we'll be looking at verses 10 through 16. If you don't know where Titus is, it's uh, towards the end of your Bible. Very short, very short book. It's a letter, in fact, and a short letter, which is written from the Apostle Paul to, uh, to his uh, disciple Titus. His co-worker, his co-laborer, also uh, the person he mentored uh, to know and to continue this work of, of starting a church here on, on the island of Crete. And so it's a short letter being three chapters, two pages in my book. So once you find Titus 1, it's also on the screen. Would you please stand for the reading of God's word? For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure but both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. This is the word of God. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Please be seated. Well, have you ever had a good idea that didn't work out? Uh, this, yeah, oh yeah, I hear a lot of oh yeahs there. Right. This last week, I saw a video of a wedding, and it was a beautiful setting. It was right on the it was right on the the coastline in Hawaii, and it was this beautiful garden that was set out there, and the waves were gently lapping up against the wall that surrounded this garden until the waves started rolling in. Maybe some of you saw this little video. Um, it uh, really soaked everybody in the wedding. It was, a, it was a good idea. It was a good idea until you considered the waves that might come on that day. Or you might have heard of the story of a teacher who wanted more class participation. So she had an idea. She said, well, to get more participation, I'll make this offer. She says to the class, whoever, whoever answers my next question, he can go home. So a quick-witted boy grabs his bag and he throws it out the window. And the teacher says, who threw that? He says, me, and now I'm going home. <laughs> Good ideas don't always work out the way we intended them. But we know that ideas have consequences. In fact, I was struck by one of the lines in the kid's song, which was said, it's like stepping on, on gum with your shoe, right? It kind of sticks to your, to your shoe. Some ideas have consequences. I, I might talk about that a little bit later this gum in the shoe thing, but they do. Now again, this letter to Titus was written for some pastor-to-pastor -pastor coaching, how to organize a church, organizing a church on the island of Crete. And one of the big things that Titus had to address while he was there was bad ideas. And those bad ideas were hurting the people. In fact, you can see in verse 11, if you look down there, that it says whole families were being upset by these bad ideas. The ideas that we have, that we believe, that we hold to, they, they make a difference. Our, this because our doctrine matters, really. Our doctrines, our belief come out of ideas. 
the things that we believe, the doctrine we have, it steers us. Now here's the thing, is that we all have some sort of doctrine. Some of us might say, well, I don't really think I have a doctrine. I haven't really thought that much about it. Or some people might say, I don't want a doctrine because I don't want to be that narrow. We can't really say that. In fact, that's a doctrine of itself. But beside that, we all have a doctrine because we all believe things. We believe things about God. We believe things about the world we live in. We believe things about us and our world. And the question that we have to wrestle with is whether our doctrine is good or whether it isn't. Does our doctrine square up with reality? Does it square up with the world as God has created it? Is it consistent with what God has revealed to us about his plan? Does it bring freedom that is in Jesus Christ? Well, when our beliefs don't line up with reality as created by God, then we enter into greater difficulty and greater suffering. There's not relief in it. I mean, life is difficult, as it is difficult for all of us at some point or another. It's the result of living in a sinful or fallen world. But when we believe lies and we choose bad doctrine, when we act on them, we just add difficulty to that. And in bad doctrine, there's no salvation outside of it. Some of the examples that I thought of, of people who have ideas which affect their lives, are those who might believe that success is defined by money and forsaking their family. Maybe other people believe that relationships are expendable only to end up alone at the end of their lives. People believe that God is unnecessary and end up without a sense of meaning in their lives. Young girls believing that they need to have a certain body type and leaving them depressed and anxious. Men believing there is no sin to look around. They end up with their minds, hearts, and relationships destroyed by lust. People believing they need to create their own identity. You know, I wondered recently, is it any wonder that children are so anxious if not only do they have to decide what they want to be when they grow up, but they have to decide whether they're going to be a man or a woman when they grow up. The level of anxiety that's there. Ideas have consequences. Some of you may have seen that recent documentary, What is a Woman? And you see the idea of a, of a transgender uh, person who regrets sexual reassignment surgery. A biological female did such damage to the body that never be able to have kids that she wants. Ideas have consequences. Now we get our doctrine from all kinds of places. We get it from church, of course. We also get it from school. We get it from parents, one of the most significant places. We also get it from entertainment, from books, from laws, from policies. We can even make up our own doctrine. I mean, we're that creative. Now, Titus's job is to ensure that the churches hear the truth. Eternal souls are at stake. The well-being of the people here are is at stake. Their witness is at stake. And false doctrine chips away at all these things. And so Titus, he needed to address these ideas, to put the bad ideas to rest. And what's, where does he start? We saw that a few weeks ago. Verse 5, he started by appointing elders. Verse 9 says that they, that they hold to the trustworthy message. That's in verse 9. So that solid teaching, what elders would do, is it would help the whole congregation know good doctrine and, and then to walk in it. Titus and the other elders they need to deal with this bad doctrine. It's because it's not just out in the world, but also comes in. False doctrine creeps into the church. 
In fact, every one of us had some sort of belief system when we came here. And, and, and the growth as being a disciple of Christ is having our, our minds transformed to become more like Christ. We don't, we, all of us may bring garbage when we come in. But we have this word of God, which is true, which we're being conformed to. So that's what Titus and the elders are, are being vigilant in, is, is making the truth known from the word. Now, is this bad doctrine something that they can tolerate? Now, some today would say that we shouldn't be so dogmatic about doctrine. We should welcome all kinds of ideas into the church. And we need to be softer on some things so that we can reach more people and grow our churches. You know, maybe people will like the Christian faith if it's more compromising. It's, if it's not so hard around the edges, well, well, guess what? I mean, it doesn't work that way. If a person's going to hate Christ, if, a person, if, if unrighteousness is it's conflict with righteousness, it doesn't matter where you draw the line, there is an animosity of the world towards Christ. The Bible's answer to the various ideas around us isn't compromise. It says that false beliefs need to be dealt with. Our call is to be honest where God is honest. And yes, there is a call to be winsome. And yes, there is a call to be loving. Yes, there's a call to be patient and compassionate and show the compelling love of God to all people, uh, no matter what they believe. But we do that firmly holding to the truth as God has given to us. If you look at verse 11, again, it says those who teach false doctrine must be silenced. That's because of do bad doctrine damages families, destroys unity. It's, it's not something we can ignore. The gospel is that important. We need to be grounded in truth. We need to grow in the truth. We need to develop ears for truth. We need to silence the falsehood in our own lives. Spiritual life is founded in Jesus Christ. We need to be diligent for ourselves to say and remain close to him. Now you may have heard of some of the massive flooding that happened up in Yellowstone Park this summer. It was so bad it washed out many, many of the roads that go into and outside of the park. Right? They had to steer people to eventually almost certain entrances. And just as those entrances and exits were dangerous, so these bad ideas and false doctrine are bad ideas. We need to steer clear of those false beliefs because they have negative consequences. They're pits for us. And we steer towards the blessings of truth. That's what we're going to look towards today. There are three points. You can follow along your bulletin if you want to see where we're at. First thing, we steer clear of bad doctrine. We need to care about what we take into our hearts and minds. We see this in verse 10 and 11. Read this again with me. For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced since they're upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain, which they ought not to teach. So let's look at some of the markers that are identified here. First, these false teachers are, are insubordinate. They don't work within the leadership of the church. They don't submit themselves to the word of God. They don't work within the doctrinal fundamentals that are given in the scripture. There's an insubordination that's here, not wanting to work with others. In fact, as I'm reflecting on this, I was appreciative of, of being part of something like the Presbyterian Church in America, where there is a call of accountability. You know, there's an accountability for the things that we do towards the Presbyterian and other churches around. The second thing that we see listed here is they're empty talkers. They make, make great boasts of what life can be, about the difference the gospel can make, but they ver demonstrate very little spiritual fruit inside of their own lives. 
They talk about faith. They talk about God and the church, but it doesn't really result in change, transformation themselves, and then good works out into the world. Third thing it says, they're deceivers. The vision is not for your good, but for their own rebellion. Just doing whatever it takes to convince you of their thing, even lying about the promises of God, making some up. There's enough promises in God's word to be believed, but the deceivers would add in ones that God has not given. Verse 11 adds why they do it. They do it for shameful gain. Maybe they do it for money. Maybe they do it to get a name for themselves. But their goal is not the truth, not to serve God, but to somehow bolster their own lives. Now, the problem group at this time was a group called the Circumcision Party. You see that in the text there in verse 10. These were Jewish followers of Jesus Christ, but they were adding something to the faith. They said that before a person could be received as a genuine Christian, to have assurance of their salvation, to be sure that Christ was for them, they needed to go through the ritual of, of circumcision. You can read all about them in Acts chapter 15. You can read about them in the book of Galatians, especially Galatians 5. What they were doing is they were adding human works, human rituals, when it should have been identified with the free gospel, the, the gospel of free grace, what God had accomplished in Jesus Christ. But they kept adding things to that. Now, their, their beliefs have been addressed by the apostles like 15 or 20 years before Paul's writing this letter. Think about it again, 20 years. This issue had been addressed and they persist in it. Know why? Apparently for their own gain, for their own power, but God wants his people to be free. And so that's why there's this emphasis on this at this point. You know, do you think this stuff still happens? I mean, it sure and certainly does happen. And people want to make money. They want to look smart. They want to gain followers. They want to shake public opinion. They promote ideas that look good. And they seem so amazing, but it's like false advertising. Right? If you just held convincing enough lie, it'll work for your benefit. Like so many diet advertisements you might see on the internet, right? I mean, they're just so amazing what they can do to your body. And just a little pill, just a little talk, just something like this. And the lie is so convincing that so many people spend their money on it without seeing what really needs to be done. And Tim Challies is a well-known reviewer of Christian books. He once said that sadly, most of the most popular books are the ones with the worst doctrine. And they influence so many people, but not towards the Lord. They have the name Christian, but really people away from Christ and not towards. Many ideas won't lead us towards God, but away. Growing self-absorption, growing sin, growing depravity, growing anxiety and broken relationship. You know, so the, the, the Lord calls us to be discerning. The devil wants you to believe all kinds of things that will lead you in a bondage of sin, that are going to leave you ineffective in your life. He wants you to believe and hold things that will keep you from God, to separate you from your brothers and sisters in Christ. As I was thinking about it, I thought some of the most powerful beliefs that people have are the assumptions that they hold, the assumptions behind arguments. We may reject a message, but unwillingly and unknowingly embrace the assumption behind it. So, for example, a, a person may think biblically about homosexual behavior. They may have discernment about the problems of transgenderism or even abortion, but support some of the assumptions that are behind them. I mean, what are some of the assumptions? Well, the first one that's big is the assumption that my personal happiness matters more than anything else. Right? I have a right to my personal happiness. 
I have a right to be who, who, who I want to be. I have a right to define myself because I have the right to be happy. And anyone who gets in the way of that happiness is an enemy. You know, it's not hard to see how that assumption can lead a person away from God. Another example, think about, think about some of the passion that we see in the movies that we watch. So the passionate scenes, the kissing scenes, and, and all those things. And we may filter through those part. We may fast forward. Maybe there's no nudity. Um, maybe viewers say with discernment that sex should not happen without, outside of marriage. But one interesting message those scene, of those scenes, the, 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 um, the assumption behind the scenes that people don't talk about, you know, is whether that sort of passion is a normal measure of love or intimacy. Many people, even good people, believe it should be there. And when the normal parts of married life exist, they sometimes think that something is wrong because they don't see what they see in the movies. These people have all kinds of bad thinking and bad decisions, including adultery. Thinking maybe they can get the passion there. Maybe even trying to bring into a marriage that has no place. Sometimes people skip marriage just simply because they think they could never do that with a man or woman. They could never be there. Just assumptions, lies that can go into the way we even think about relationships. As we grow in Christ, we begin to think through our own assumptions. We do it by taking time to read the Bible, through listening to good sermons, reading good books, thinking things through because we need good doctrine, good assumptions to replace the bad. And that was, leads us to our second point, right? Not only that area of discernment, but we also see we steer clear of the world's influences by identifying sources of good doctrine. You can see that in verses 12 through 14. He talks about the Cretan people, starting in verse 12, saying that uh, one of their prophets of their own have said, Cretans are always liars, evil beliefs, lazy gluttons. You know, I've, I've learned this with my own life, my own personal experience, as well as talking with others that I know, human sinfulness will tend to take the path of least resistance, right? Just as water runs downhill, we tend to believe things that require the least amount of change inside of our lives. And certainly that was true of the Cretan people. Liars, evil beliefs, lazy gluttons. So in order to get what they wanted, they picked a, a belief system that, that tends to support their chosen lifestyle. It's like, I don't want to really change so I'll just pick something easy and I'll go that way. I'll kind of be spiritual, but I won't really have to make, have something different in my life. And so what do they pick? They pick Jewish myths. They pick self-proclaimed prophets to justify their beliefs. They would rather follow human commands from people who turn away from the truth than to have God's commands. And here's the thing we need to remember, that if you find that the Bible or God is always agreeing with you, always agreeing with your beliefs, never wanting to challenge you or rebuke you or correct you, well, maybe you're picking out your own belief system and not taking what God has revealed and given to you in his word. We should expect to be challenged. We should expect to be pushed out in love. We should expect to be corrected by God's word. We should expect to have a bad conscience about some things we do. You know, that's the way that God challenges us. We shouldn't expect that he's going to coddle us in every word that's in this book. God calls us to trust him. Even if it leaves uncertainty in our lives. Now go back to verse 10. It says that Titus needs to silence the false teachers. Verse 13 says that Titus needs to help those who are going to be drawn, who may be drawn astray. Instead of listening to these things, they need to be sound in the faith 
It's because we need diversions from what's false towards what's beautiful and good. I mean, this is a gospel that leads to life. Right? We may get that gum stuck on our shoe, you know, but we can scrape it off and we can move on. You know, Jesus Christ taking those, those consequences of the, bad, the past. We might have consequences. They may stick around, but we know he cleanses us, he forgives us, he restores us with his Father, that we can walk with him, that we can have a new start, we become a new creation in Jesus Christ. That's why we keep coming back to the word, diverting ourselves from what's false and pointing towards what's good. Hearing God's words, reading these stories, seeing how God has revealed himself to the world, that those are the foundations of our beliefs. The spirit of our age constantly pushes against God's truth. Constantly pushing, especially around sex and identity. I mean, we have to replace what the world says with good sources of truth. One example is living together outside of marriage. The world's going to say all kinds of things about this. And, 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 and most couples, percentage-wise, as I understand it, live together now before they're married. And the Bible is clear. The sex outside of marriage is not only sin, but it's also contrary to God's design for intimacy. If people think that they need to test out the relationship, they think they need to see if they're really compatible. They need to see if they love each other so they can live uh, together in marriage. Sometimes, especially today, people think well, we need to live together so we can finally afford a wedding. Well, we need the simple biblical teaching and the teaching, uh, you know, and which has been the teaching of the church, the sex society, the bounds of marriage is wrong. We also see, need to see that it doesn't work. Cohabitation before marriage doesn't lead to better marriage outcomes. Peter, people live together thinking they have a better chance for the future. But guess what? You know, it actually decreases the chance of having a marriage that stands the test of time. I read one researcher this week who, who believes that cohabitation is even more detrimental to family stability in America than divorce. That was quite a statement. Even more detrimental to family stability than divorce. God has designed marriage to last for life. Too often it ends in divorce and at times when differences can be solved. And while the Bible has uh, some situations which divorce is justified, his design is stable marriages. Research shows that stable marriages lead to better wealth outcomes for everyone, husbands, and especially women and children. And so there's a call to work through these things and make them something that pleases God. So we praise God that he's given us his pure, his perfect word. We need to know it. We need to agree with it. We need to trust it with our lives. When we think about our true source of truth, we need to keep going back to Jesus. We keep going back to Jesus, the true source of truth. Look at uh, Colossians chapter 2, Colossians 2, 2 through 4. This is pretty, pretty important because people today think they can, they can build the strategy of their life by watching TikTok videos or women on Instagram sharing something. And we really need to ask, you know, who are we really building our life on? How, what, how are we letting these people that we watch change the way that we understand reality? Who are we taking advice from? That's why we come back to Jesus. All right, look what it says about him. This is a, a statement of gold ministry. The gold ministry is that their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love. I mean, we like that idea, right? Encouragement, love. We want to help people reach the riches of the full assurance of understanding, the knowledge of God's mystery. And, you know, what is this riches? 
What is this mystery which is being revealed? You see, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Right? Go back to him. Go to him for wisdom and knowledge. That's where we find it. He's the center point of our understanding. And he goes on to say this. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. We can all be deluded by plausible arguments, right? Actually, almost every argument we're persuaded by is somewhat plausible, right? Had to convince us to some level. They sound so good until they fail us, until we lose money, until we waste time with our kids, in our jobs, in our relationships, or until we end up in hell. But we notice where the treasure is found. It's found in Jesus Christ. You want to be wise? Follow him. Think as he thought, know as he knew, love as he loved. The way of thinking, uh, this, this way of thinking knows that Jesus Christ is Savior and Lord. It knows that we're sinners, that we're fallen, we're broken. That he died for our sins, for dying on a cross, that he was resurrected from the dead. He ascended into heaven where he rules at the right hand of God and where he will come again to judge the world. This is good news. This is good news for us. Because in him we find new life. It's a lot, it gives freedom. Keep coming back to Jesus. We keep coming back to him. It's not our experiences fundamentally. It's Jesus. You know, it's not what we learn on some television show or TikTok video. It's Jesus. We keep coming back to him as our confidence. Um, you know, it's, it's not in our good works or our self-righteousness or incredible smarts or incredible good looks or figuring it out. We keep coming back to Jesus in obedience and faith and knowing what's good. All right, and that leads us to our third point. We steer clear with pure devotion. We see this in verses 15 and 16. So if you want to steer clear, you need a right heart. That's because without the right heart, we will willingly embrace lies, myths, and false doctrines so you won't have to change. And if you don't believe that about yourself, you don't understand yourself rightly, right? I mean, we have to understand what's going on, what, how sin has affected us, right? We need God to work inside of us to build in a new devotion for him. I mean, if we're running away from God, we'll embrace all kinds of crazy things. But if we want him, we'll ask him to shape us by his word. That's why devotion matters. Luke says in verse 15, To the pure, all things are pure. But the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pured. Both their minds and their consciences are defiled. It's not much different here than what Jesus says when he says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. When God changes you, when he purifies you by his grace, when you pursue purity by faith, you'll be able to enjoy God's gifts. It's not, it's not saying that all Christians can sin all they want, but it's all pure because just because they believe. It's saying that those who've been purified, they love pure things, they enjoy pure things, and they get to enjoy them thoroughly. But what happens in unbelief? Nothing is pure. Nothing is sacred. Marriage is not sacred, so let's divorce at will. Sex is not sacred, so why not hook up outside marriage? Gender is not sacred, so let's let people redefine it as they want. Jesus Christ is not sacred, so we use his name as a curse word. Life is not sacred, so we abort or euthanize. People are not sacred, so we, abort, we abuse and enslave. Work is not sacred, so we just build up wealth with no vision for doing meaningful work. Here's the thing. In human sin, people reject God's gifts for their own selfish purposes. I mean, it is the fundamental rebellion against God. During Titus's day, one thing that people were doing, you can look this up in 1 Timothy 4.3, is that some people actually forbade marriage. 
They said, if you're going to be a good Christian, you should not, you must not get married. Even though marriage was a gift from God, all the way back from Genesis chapter 2, they were not accepted as pure. The point is that when a person is gripped by a false doctrine, they're unable to, do, to enjoy God's gifts, they're unable also to produce good works. We see what a person is, what a person believes by the way they act. They love the world, they serve the world, and they're happy with that. I heard this humorous story about two wicked brothers and a pastor who confronted them. Not only were the brothers wicked, but they were also rich. And both lived wild lives, both did what they wanted to do with little view of the consequences of the people they hurt, and they used their wealth to justify the dark side of their lives. The people who didn't know them might have thought that they were pretty good fellows because they attended the same church almost every Sunday and they contributed big money to different church projects. Well, one year their church called a new pastor. As a young man, he, he was zealous, he was courageous, he preached the truth and, and the church grew quickly. It grew so quickly they needed a new sanctuary. And the new pastor had also seen this hypocritical lifestyle of these two brothers. He knew what's happening behind closed doors. And then one day, one of the brothers dies. And they ask this pastor, to, this young pastor, to preach his funeral. And the day before the funeral, the surviving brother pulled the pastor aside and he gave him an envelope. And he said, there's a check in here. There's enough money in here to pay for that new sanctuary. And they whispered to him, I only ask one favor. Tell all the people at my brother's funeral that he was a saint. Well, the minister gives the brother his word. He would do precisely what was asked. That afternoon, he deposited the check in the church's account. And the next day, the pastor stood before the casket of the funeral service. And he said with a firm conviction, he said, this man was an ungodly sinner, wicked to the core. He was unfaithful to his wife, hot-tempered with his children, ruthless in his business, and a hypocrite at his church. But compared to his brother, <laughs> he was a saint. Well, you can see, you can see God's verdict in verse 16. What does it say about those who do this? It says they are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. What a sad verdict. What a sad waste of a life. What a sad waste of an experience. And what is that person good for? We see the reality of hell, and it's really scary. And maybe you see yourself in this today. Maybe you've rejected the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe you know your heart isn't right. Maybe you even say that you are a Christian, but you know your actions do not line up with what you profess. You have a defiled mind. You have a defiled conscience. You know you're doing something wrong. That's what bad ideas and false doctrine does. It leaves us with a guilty conscience, broken bodies, broken relationships, and broken lives. I mean, if your conscience is bothering you, this is your chance to come in because there are some people, as Titus says, their conscience is just defiled. If your conscience bothers you, go to Christ because he will forgive. You need Jesus. And here's the promise is that he can make you pure. Right? You, you need to see you've defiled everything in your sin, but he can purify you. That's what 1 John 1, 9 says. Look at this wonderful promise. It says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's because Jesus is pure. 
He perfectly loved good. Not a stray thought went into his mind. He is the sinless, spotless Savior who loved what was true, and he loved what was beautiful, and he loved what was good. And as you know him and his forgiveness, he purifies mind and heart. As you know the one who is pure, he will make you pure. Would you pray together with me? Heavenly Father, strengthen us. Strengthen us. Strengthen our families. God, even as we talk through some of these areas today, we realize the assault that can come upon families, dividing them, crippling them from the beginning. Father, we need truth that comes into our world. Would you bring that? Would you strengthen our churches? Would you strengthen our community? Would you strengthen our nation? Strengthen us in your revealed truth. You say that to the pure, all things are pure. We praise you, God, for the purity of Jesus Christ, the pure son of God. We ask you, O Lord, to make us pure in him. We know, Father, he can steer us to the pure life with you. Help us to do. Help us do what you call us to and do what you need to do to make that happen in our lives by grace, through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.